Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Who's excited for church? Come on. If we have not met, my name is Ali. My beautiful wife and I, we started this place, this crazy place called Bold, five years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come and grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people could come explore their faith. So if you're new, let me tell you, you are VIP at Bold. We, we designed this place. I preach in such a way where not only the Christians are going to grow, but you can explore faith here. So let me give you some opportunities to take a, a next step in our faith community. The first one on the screen is baptisms. On the fourth, we got six people going public with their faith. Get a little bit louder. Come on. The Bible says that there is joy in the presence of angels. The angels ain't shouting, God the Father is. When one of his kids, and we got six of them going public with their faith. Come on. Then uh, on the 7th of June, it's a Wednesday, once a quarter, we try to do what's called a team night. For those, who's part of the dream team here? Would you give God a shout? Come on. We love to pour into you. It's a night where we go a little bit deeper in worship. My wife and I, we love to pray over people, prophesy over people. We just go a little bit, things we would normally not, never do on a Sunday, we do on a team night. To be part of that, you got to be part of our dream team. You got to go through growth track. And on the 11th, who's excited for groups to come back? Come on. For those of you that are new, we do seasons of groups, one season on and three on. And we've been off for the month of May and the first week of June, and we will be coming back. And now it's time to talk about what you, I emailed many of you what we're going to talk about today. It's, it's a heavy subject. In uh, April of 2020, I preached a sermon a month into the pandemic called Happiness is an Inside Job. And the reason why is because my wife and I were getting text messages and emails and phone calls from people in our community that were just completely emotionally and mentally overwhelmed by the pandemic. And I had to preach a sermon on depression, not experiencing it myself. This time it's, it's different. If I'm honest, I, I never thought I would be in this, this spot where I'd be preaching from experience. I never thought I'd be the one that would break down. Maybe someone else, but, but not me. And what's crazy is that most of you had no clue what was happening. On the outside, I'm like, who's excited for church? And on the inside, I was dying. And the best way to explain it it felt like I'd walk around with a cloud following me. Didn't matter where I was. I could be at a birthday party and the cloud was there. I could be on vacation and the cloud was there. I thought maybe, maybe I need to take some time off. And last year, if you notice, I, once a month I'd bring in a guest speaker because I thought maybe that's what will help. And the whole time, no one knew. Then on the outside, I'd smile, and there was this joy, and I had it. But on the inside, I was overwhelmed, wanting to quit, and it didn't get better. There would be moments where something bad would happen, and I'd, I'd get triggered. It's the best way I can explain it. Or I'd want to run away from this church, sell my house, and move somewhere, and sell bread. <laughs> Sounded better than doing this. And there are times, honestly, I mean, I didn't even, I wanted to go be with Jesus. And some of you, that makes you uncomfortable, that your pastor thought about suicide. Can we just pretend for a moment 
that the only one with a halo is Jesus. Come on, I don't have that. <laughs> Statistically speaking, 20% of you in this room, you're smiling on the outside. But you have a secret depression. And there's shame. You don't know what to do about it. On the exterior, everything looks good. You go to work, you kiss your wife, you go to school. But on the inside, anxiety, depression, you're overwhelmed with feelings of wanting to quit, run away from it all. Which is why we're not doing one sermon on mental health. We are doing a collection of talks which is titled, Health is Wealth. Because maybe a generation ago, wealth was measured in cars and lifestyles in the rich and famous, your house, maybe a boat. I think my generation, it's happiness, holiness, and health. It's a different kind of wealth. And the title of today's talk, super simple, The Myths of Mental Health. I'm going to do something different today. Normally, I, I ask you to close your eyes and pray, but... In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says, watch and pray. For those of you watching online, you're driving, please don't close your eyes. Please don't close your eyes. Unless you're a Lakers fan, we would love. We don't want you to see the pain that's about to happen on, on Monday. But I'm going to read you this verse, and I'm going to turn it into a prayer. It's 1 Thessalonians 5. May God himself, the God of peace, someone say peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He's faithful, church. He knows what you're going through, and he's faithful to bring you out of it. And he will do it. You turn to your neighbor and say, he's your peace. Turn to your other neighbor you ignored and say, he's your peace too. And if you believe that, everybody said, everybody said, Amen. Come on, we give it up for the worship team. For those of you that are new to church, you may not know this, but mental health was a, a taboo subject in the church. It was something that people never talked about. They avoided. The, the mentality was if, if you come to Jesus, if he saves you, you should not struggle with those things because you're a new creation. You're born again. You're redeemed. You're healed. And listen, those things are true. He does save you. He does redeem you. He does heal you and put his spirit with inside of you. But it's, it's true, but it's incomplete. The best analogy, the best prophetic picture I can give you from the scriptures is, is found in John chapter 11. One of Jesus' homies, a man by the name of Lazarus, dies. And Jesus goes to the gravesite four days later, and he calls out Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And theologians say if he didn't say the name of Lazarus, every person in that, in that cemetery would have came out. That's how powerful your God is. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And there's this picture of Lazarus. He's alive, but he's got issues. They have to take the bandages off. That's a prophetic picture of your salvation. You are alive in Christ, but bro, you got drama. You still think negative thoughts. And I wrote down like this, just because Jesus saves you does not mean that he fixes every area of your life instantly. Listen, I, I've never had someone come to me and Pastor Ali, I, I prayed at the altar last week and oh, my thighs got thinner. <laughs> Pastor Ali, I, I got baptized and I went home and my bank account doubled. My credit score went up too. My hair, it grew back. The hair on my back, it went away. 
Come on, someone got uncomfortable. In the same way, just because you come to Jesus does not mean he instantly heals your mind. You got to realize that. It's not instant. It takes time. And what I really want to do is I want to explain a little bit of mental health, not from the perspective of a doctor. I'm a pastor. I don't have a PhD in psychology or psychoanalysis, but I've, I've been in therapy for four years, and I've, I've read several books. I can speak from tons of experience, and I can tell you what they taught me, but I'm going to tell you up front, I'm going to have the leaning of a pastor. I'm going to lean more on the spiritual than on anything else. And you need to understand that, that mental health, if you define it, these three things, psychological, emotional, and social. By psychological, I'm talking about the, the chemical balance that's going on in your brain. Some people are born bipolar. It has nothing to do with sin. There's just a chemical imbalance. It's psychological. And the only way to fix it is with some pills or drugs. Sometimes it's emotional. It's the trauma and the pain that you experience in life. Some of you had an awful mom. Some of you had an absent father. Those wounds will stay with you if you don't deal with them. The third one is social. How much sleep are you getting? You eating only Taco Bell every day? I mean, that that's a, sounds like a great meal, but there's no nutrition in that. And the recreational drugs that you use will affect your mental health. Mental health is not a static thing. It can be affected by your lifestyle, your family of origin, and even chemically. It's this holistic thing. And on purpose, listen, I listed spiritual the last. Because Christians often have this attitude, oh my gosh, you have depression? Listen, you, you, you just need to pray more. Maybe you have sin in your life. And I would fail you as a pastor if I didn't tell you the devil's real, but I'd fail you again if I told you using everything. And what I really want to do is explain it through this analogy of, of my car. When I graduated college in 2003 from Cal Poly, super nerd engineer, I had this like 15-year-old Volkswagen Jetta. It would go like 100 miles an hour. I, I never drove that. I just heard from testimonies, right? <laughs> testimonies. And because I had so many student loans, I couldn't afford for this car to break down. So I'd constantly take it to the mechanic, make sure it's good. I can't afford a $15,000 car. Make sure it's never broken. And one day, the check engine light comes on. Freaking out, I go to the mechanic. I'm like, bro, fix this. And the older cars, the newer cars, when the check engine light comes on, they put in this computer, and they pinpoint the issue in two seconds. When the car's like 25 years old, they got to do like a diagnostic over everything. That's kind of like what mental health is like. When the check engine of your heart comes on, no one knows really what's going on. It could be any one of those four things. So I took it to the mechanic, and they said, you know, we're doing a diagnostic. We don't think there's anything wrong with your car. They turned the light off, and I drove home. And it was off for a month. And then I came back because it came back on. They checked the engine. They said, we think there's a, a broken gasket in your engine. It's going to cost $3,000. I had a heart attack, got saved, resurrected like Lazarus. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then he said, actually, we don't know. We got to get to the root of the problem. What we need to do is we need to wash the engine of your car with a power wash and see where the source of the engine is. Sometimes it takes time for your doctor to diagnose really what the root of your problem is. So I took it to a mechanic. They power washed the engine. I brought it back. because I got good news and bad news. I'm like, tell me the good news. It's not going to be $3,000. It's going to be 30 bucks. The cap, the oil cap is broken. You're out of here in 20 minutes. 
That's exactly what happens with mental health. It's not external. There's nothing wrong with the exterior of your car. There's nothing mechanically wrong. It's internal. And you can't just put gas in your car. You can't just pray a little bit more and get better. It's more complex than that. It's different. And there are some myths that some of you believe that are leaving you in shame and you're not getting the help that you need. And the first myth is this. Christians should not struggle with mental health. It's almost unspoken. Maybe it's Ned Flanders' fault. You know, he's always happy. How are you doing? Oakley doakley, right? He's, he never has a bad day. His, his cat dies. He's still happy. He's, he loses his job. He's still smiling. And he suppresses the pain. And often we think we have to be Ned Flanders at church. How you doing? Good. Blessed and highly favored the Lord. And on the inside, you're dying. On the outside, you're smiling. And there's this unspoken lie that maybe you don't have enough faith. Maybe you're not praying hard enough or or even worse, maybe you have secret sin. If you just confessed your sin, then you, you wouldn't deal with that if, if you were a good Christian. And what I want to show you this morning is you can love and follow Jesus and still be depressed. It has nothing to do with you being a bad Christian. It has everything to do with you. You're just human. Elijah. Someone say Elijah. One was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. This dude did miracles that only Jesus did. Jesus is the only God-man. He left heaven as God, and he, not only did he resurrect, he resurrected Lazarus. One other man in the Bible did that. His name is Elijah. This man did miracles that no one else has done. And one queen said, I'm going to cut you. And this dude runs for his life, hides in a cave, down by the river. No one got that SNL joke. And he, and he wants to die. Why? Because you can follow Jesus, love Jesus, and still be depressed. Then there's David. Someone say David. David, David is a, a man after God's own heart. This man is like Justin Bieber, Michael Jordan, and George Washington all in one. He's, he's the country's greatest musician. He's the greatest warrior and greatest king. Not in three different people, one person. And this man from the age of 13 to the age of 30 ran because his boss was trying to kill him. He wrote two-thirds of, the, of the, the Psalms, songs of him crying out to God, saying, God, where are you? feels like you've abandoned me. And he wanted to question the goodness of God. Why? Because you can follow Jesus and still be depressed. Then there's my favorite prophet, Jeremiah. Someone say Jeremiah. He's the youngest prophet in the Bible. This man preached for years and never saw one person receive Christ. Crazy. I, I, I like shake when we go like a couple of weeks without seeing someone. Because I just so believe God's saving people. We've seen 30 people in the last four weeks receive Christ in this church. It's crazy. Imagine going years. This man wrote the book of Lamentations. Basically a book of mourning. He even cursed the day he was born. And sometimes you'll hear this, oh my gosh, you have depression. Oh my gosh, all you got to do is pray more. Well, no. Sometimes you just need a nap. Sometimes you need to change your diet. Sometimes you need to forgive your parents for what they did because you're carrying that trauma. You don't even realize it. Sometimes it is a demon, and you need your pastors to come pray, but it's holistic. It, there's not one reason. I wrote down like this. Our problems are always spiritual, but not always only spiritual. You got to realize that. 
Some of you don't realize the way that you eat and sleep is causing your mental health to crash. Maybe you just need a nap. That's what God told Elijah. Elijah, rest, bro. Netflix and chill for a little bit. Brought him cakes from heaven. That was God's plan for his depression. Think about that. He didn't say, pray more, oh, ye of little faith. And what's so alarming to me is that today, suicide is the second leading cause of death of teenagers and college students. More teenagers and young adults in America are dying by suicide, from suicide, than cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, strokes, pneumonia, influenza, chronic lung disease combined. And we're ashamed to talk about it because we think, oh, I'm not a good Christian if I struggle with that. So now it's a silent killer. It's killing our young people. And it isn't just the young people who are on TikTok for three hours a day, okay? 40 million adults right today, right now, are diagnosed with anxiety every year. Depression is increasing and increasing every year. It's up 300%. What I want to do is I want to remove the shame. You're not a weak Christian. You don't have a lack of faith. You could be doing everything right and still experience depression. Because depression does not mean you're a bad Christian. It just means you're human. Amen? Let me show you this verse that comes from the Psalms that shows you can be walking with God and still be depressed. Psalm 51. This is David saying, let me hear joy. Someone say joy. Anyone excited to be in church this morning? Come on. Let me hear joy and gladness. Semicolon. Huh. But the bones you have crushed. Someone say crushed. Crushed bones rejoicing. What a paradox. Think about that. You can have both at the same time. You can be depressed and singing to God at the same time. You can be sick and singing at the same time. You can be hurt and still worshiping at the same time. I wrote down like this. You can wrestle with mental illness and still live a life full for God. You can still wrestle with sickness and still bring God glory. Why? Because you can love Jesus and follow him and still be depressed. It's a myth that Christians don't struggle with mental health. Myth number two, if you're writing this down, that God does not care about your mental health. I've heard this from people in this room. I, I can't pray those prayers. There's people dying of hunger. There's, there's Christians being persecuted for the faith. There are bigger fish to fry than me not liking my boss, my marriage crumbling, or maybe me not having enough money in my bank account. There are, he doesn't care about these things. And all you got to do is read the Psalms. Anyone love the Psalms? It's a picture of God caring about every area of your life. Can I read you some psalms that give me hope? Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Not my bank account, not inflation, not the economic situation in the country. God is bigger than all of my problems. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I said this last week. This is the first time in human history the word brokenhearted shows up in literature because God invented God knew you would live life broken, hurting, that someone would die, someone would feel divorced. You would have a girlfriend break up with you, and you would be what? Brokenhearted. And God says, get away from you. You have depression. He goes, no, I come close. I come close to the, to the depressed. Notice his attitude. He runs towards you. He's not ashamed of you. He's close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
when it feels like God's most distant, the scriptures are saying he's most close. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I didn't realize the power of this verse until I lost my father a year ago. Every child in here knows that when you have an, a drama or you have an issue, who do you call? You call your parents. And they're like that Linus security blanket, right? You can always call your mom, always call your dad. It felt like when my father died, that blanket was ripped away. And I realized there's going to come a day when both my parents are gone. And who are going to call? can't call the Ghostbusters. <laughs> there's only one person that's ever present in your time of trouble, and it's God. It's God. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And then this is the most famous psalm. If you're not even a believer here, you've probably heard someone say these words. The Lord is my shepherd. Someone say shepherd. shepherd. That means you and I are stupid and we need someone to guide us. Just put it out there. I shall not want. He makes me. Makes you. You want to go this way? He grabs you by the neck. He goes, no, 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 no. We're going this way. He makes me lie down by green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Some of you had an absent father who never came to your baseball games, never came to your graduation. God loves you. And he's like, follow me. I want to lead you to the best life. He leads you. He's in front of you. He restores my soul. He, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk, watch this, through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not real death. It's a shadow. Death is fear. Is, is, gives the appearance of, of pain. Appearance of drama. But it's a shadow. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God does never promises to remove your drama. He never promises to remove the tri trials and tribulations. He promises to hold your hand in the middle of them. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's writing this from pain, from, from tribulations, from trials. And he's declaring God is not some vending machine where he gives me what I want. He's not Burger King where you get it your way. He's the God that leads me because I'm stubborn. He's the God that guides me because I want to go a different way and he leads me in the path of righteousness even on my bad days. And these are the verses that we put on mugs, right? We put on t-shirts. But can I show you a psalm that I promise you no one has on a mug. If you do, you're crazy. The man by the name of Haman wrote this. Let me show you this verse on the screen. Haman, very close to He-Man. Anyone know who He-Man is? Come on. You, that means you're born in the greatest generation, the 80s. Sorry for those that didn't have the Cabbage Patch Kids, Smurfs. That's, that's all I can remember right now. Care Bears, G.I. Joe, He-Man. Come on. It's close. It's Haman. Heman, this dude was a godly man. Listen, I need to show you how godly he was. He had great wisdom. This man, the Bible says, he was filled with wisdom and revelation. And then he says he, he had musical ability. He would pick up the guitar like Ethan and say, excuse me, Ethan, let me lead the worship team this morning. This man was a godly worshiper. And then he, 1 Chronicles 25 says he has tons of kids. Theologians say he, he was probably a very committed father. And then it, he, he, he was a great employee. The reason why I'm showing you these things is this man loves God, follows God, and worships God. 
There's no secret sin in his life. This man knows how to pray, knows how to pursue God. There's nothing wrong theologically or spiritually with this man. And yet he writes a psalm that's honestly scary. There's 150 psalms in the Old Testament. Only two of them end on a negative note. They end on a cliffhanger. Heman writes one of those two psalms. Look what he says. He says, I am overwhelmed. Someone say overwhelmed. That's what some of you feel like emotionally. You're, you're standing under a cloud that's following you everywhere. The scriptures are trying to elaborate what you're feeling internally that no one else sees. This man writes out his feelings. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your cave. And what he's going to do in a moment, he's going to do something that I'm I'm very encouraged that some of you in this room are doing. He's pursuing God. You're in church. You're watching online. Praise God. Watch what he says. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning. Someone say, in the morning. You're the first person I turn to. And even though this man is crying out, he's not getting the peace that he wants. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And this next verse is how this chapter ends. And it's haunting. Look what he says. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness. Someone say darkness. Darkness is my closest friend. This is a godly man who loves Jesus, pursues Jesus, and is overwhelmed with depression. And we would call him a negative Nancy by the way he's talking. This man is overwhelmed. And what I want to show you, there's nothing wrong with him. God included this in the Bible because he's not afraid of your honesty. You can love him and still question him. You can worship and still be hurting. Why? Because he is close to the brokenhearted. And this is what the last 18 months for me felt like. Depression hit me June of 2021. So when we were at the Hotel Valencia and had 200 people, and then we, we came back after 60 weeks online of doing Netflix church, and there were 65 people in the room. And I'm like, what happened? And I thought, a month would go by, maybe a day would go by. I'm like, okay, this, this is going to pass. And it didn't. And a month turned into two, two turned into six. And a year with my depression, silently holding it, and my wife's like, you are crazy. You need to go see a doctor. And because of my pride, I didn't get help until June of 2022. I wrote down like this. I'm hoping this will help you. Getting help isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. It's a sign of wisdom. Best way I can explain is I met with a therapist, and she asked me, how, how are you sleeping? Well, I sleep on my back. She goes, no. I'm how, like, how are you sleeping? I'm like, good. She's like, how are you eating? I'm like, did my wife tell you about Taco Bell? Why are you asking that question? She's like, no, are you eating three meals a day? I'm like, why all these questions? Because at the time, I did not know that there was this holistic approach to my mental health. She's like, tell me about your marriage. I'm like, I love my wife. She's like, do you have any enemies? Anyone you secretly want to kill? I'm like, do Laker fans count? What is this? I'm like, no. She's like, tell me about your relationship with God. How often do you spend time with God? She was checking everything. 
Then she started asking me questions about my childhood. I'm like, this is so annoying. Why are you going back 30 years? Who cares? She goes, tell me about your parents. What was it like growing up in your home? I said, well, my, you know, my dad was a little abusive. Tell me more. And for the next hour, I would explain to her my dad was physically, verbally abusive. And she asked me a question no one in my life had ever asked. She said, what would you have to do to get him to stop? Would you cry? Would you leave the room? I said, no, I, I would just excel at school. If I came home with a perfect report card, he left me alone. And she's like, oh, so you learn from a young age that you can be in control by pushing your emotions down and excelling. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> then she asked me another question. We'll get to it in week four. She said, did you ever see your father hit your mom? I said, yeah. And then she asked a question. She said, what does that make you feel? I don't feel anything. She said, Pastor Ali, what's your primary emotion? I said, anger. I'm always angry. And she goes, you know, anger is not an emotion. It's a secondary emotion. She goes, I think your problem, Pastor Ali, is that as a child, you experienced so much trauma, you didn't have time to process sadness. So you had to learn. To survive, you had to excel. And it served you well. You did well in school. You did well in college. You, you planted this church. And now your mode of dealing with your emotions, when the check engine light comes on, it's destroying you. Because you don't know how to deal with sadness. This is a book that I encourage any of you who are followers of Jesus, probably one of the top five books I've ever read. The Body Keeps the Score. It talks about how many times... The things that you experience, if you don't process it properly, you may forget, but your body doesn't. And so you're walking with a limp, thinking that's normal. And she said, we're going to have to change the way you think. Someone say think. The way you think about sadness. Because the way you're thinking is determined the way that you live. This is what the scripture says in Psalm, Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh, someone say thinketh. thinketh. This is the New King James, versus the old school. So is he. What's he saying? The way that you think determines the way that you live. If you want to change your life, you don't change your behavior. You change the way you think. Because if you change the way you think, it will change your behavior. Pastor Ali, the reason why your primary emotion is anger is because you never thought about sadness. You don't process it. When you're about to throw your kids across the room because you're so upset, the reality is you're sad. They're not listening to you. So here's what I need you to do. You need to renew your mind. You need to change the way you think about anger. That's why in Romans chapter 12, it says this. I think it's this next verse. Do not be conformed. Someone say conformed. Every dad may yell. Every dad may throw things. Every dad may spank their kids. But you don't need to copy the world. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed. Someone say transformed. That's the word metamorphosis. That a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. God wants to make you a brand new person. He doesn't do it by you coming to church. He doesn't do it by you serving and giving. You know how he changes you? By the renewing of your mind. He wants to change the way that you think. Because if he changes the way you think, he changes the way that you live. And your whole life, Pastor Al, you've been thinking about sadness and anger the wrong way. You're not angry that the church won't grow. You're sad. And you don't know how to process it. So he gave me tips. This is a general formula. This is not, this is simplistic. 
analysis of what everyone needs to do. It's simply this. You need to disconnect from the negative and connect to the positive. So when my kids, for an hour, brush your teeth, put on your pajamas, and an hour later, brush your teeth, put on your pajamas, instead of saying, I'm angry, I would change my language. You're making me sad, Sophia. I'm so sad, even though I didn't feel sad, because I was disconnecting from the old negative emotions. And then I had to connect. Someone say connect. What do you connect to? Watch this verse, Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace. Someone say perfect peace. peace. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on, I'll get to what it's going to say in a moment, but the word perfect peace, the word peace is the word shalom. Someone say shalom. Shalom. Means rest. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, before sickness and death, they they had shalom. So the question is, what does perfect shalom mean? And that's not actually what the Bible says. When you look at the Hebrew, it actually says shalom, shalom saying peace, peace. And when Hebrew language, one of the things that you have to realize, when they repeat a word, it's for incredible emphasis. Some of your parents know, go to your room. And the first time the volume's down here. Then you're like, go to your room. And you're saying the same thing twice. Why? Because you want it to be emphasized. God wants to give you peace, peace. He wants to give you shalom, shalom. It's so great. It's overwhelming. But how do you get it? Watch what he says. Whose thoughts are fixed on CNN, Fox News, TikTok? How about positive vibes? It's huge in our culture. I'm like, oh my gosh, only positive things. Oh my God. I love doing the Valley Voice. My wife hates it. I tell her I do it on purpose. Fixed on you. Did you know the word encouragement? The root word is entheos which means in God. If you lack encouragement, you need to get in God. So I need to disconnect from the negative. Every time something would happen, every time my kids wouldn't listen, or something at church would go off, I would get angry. I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to get angry anymore. I'm going to disconnect. And then you need to understand that your brain, there's this thing called neuroplasticity, that my therapist was telling me that you can literally reprogram your brain. The Bible calls it to be transformed by the ruling of your mind. So even though for 30 years something bad would happen, I'd get angry and give the person the middle finger from inside my heart. But I'd tell them, I'm just telling them they're number one, right? Because I'm a pastor. I, I'm not. And instead I'd say, you know what? I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to disconnect from that. God, I need to connect with you. And that word, if you go back to the verse, it says, all whose thoughts are fixed. Someone say fixed. This word fixed is the Hebrew word samak. Next slide. It means to prop, to rest your weight on an object. It's like you're sitting on God's lap and saying, I got no other hope other than you, Jesus. I'm not around you. I'm not like going to church. I'm fixing 
and placing all of my hope on you. It's, it's what often we call in the church like a promise verse where you lean on it and you meditate on it, you memorize it. Some of you, the only way to connect with God is if you memorize scripture. So I would take a verse that helped me and I'd paraphrase it so I can remember it. Let me show you the verse that I would read constantly. First Peter 1 verse 3, his divine power. Someone say his divine power. Not your power, not your education, not your good looks, not your money. The only way you're going to come out of that brokenness, out of that depression, out of that cloud that's been following you is his power. His divine power. If I get the hobby to come up. Has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God wants to give me shalom, shalom. But i got to fix my eyes on him. And there would be these moments where I, I would literally say, this is too much. This is going to kill me. I'm never going to get it done. No one understands. And instead I'd say, I turned this into a prayer that I'd say all the time. No, no, no. God is my source and my strength. I have everything I need to do everything he called me to do. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I say. I don't need to be angry anymore. I'm not going to let that emotion control. The check engine light came on. God, and I'm processing it with you. But God's my source and my strength. And I have everything I need to do everything he called me to do. And for six months, I would meet with my therapist every week. And little by little, God would begin to renew my mind around anger. And I remember we were at Bold Conference this last January. Anyone come to the conference? I remember we came home on Saturday, like 10 o'clock. I said, babe, something shifted. Let me give you a secret. They're always thinking about their depression. Doesn't matter where they are. You can be on the beach of Mexico. You can be watching a Giants game. Does not matter. You're always thinking about your depression. And I remember I, I came home and I said, babe, it's gone. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. why God had me go through 18 months of depression. Didn't have secret sin. Wasn't cheating on my wife. Wasn't abusing my kids. I didn't have like a, a secret enemy that I hated. and Wasn't misusing recreational drugs. I got sleep. Ate good. Taco Bell only once a week. Nothing crazy, right? And I think God allowed me to go through that season to help some of you in this room because I had no empathy of what depression was like until I went through it myself. And let me tell you, God's faithful. He will bring wholeness to your spirit, soul, and body. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Can I show you what Jesus says about peace? John 14, peace, someone say peace. Peace, I leave you my peace. 
not a piece, my piece I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, because when God gives you peace, no one can take it from you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The context of this verse is remarkable, because in about 15 hours, Jesus is going to die on a cross. He's going to have the skin off his back ripped off. He's going to have his beard plucked out. They're going to beat him so mercilessly that the Bible says that he would become unrecognizable. And he experienced all of those things so that you could be forgiven, so that your sin could be paid for. And before he went through that physically exhausting, excruciating thing, he said, I want to give you peace. Because I know what it's like to be overwhelmed. I know what it's like when the mental pressure is great. God says this here perhaps to reveal that real peace isn't found in the absence of problems, but in the presence of God. In the presence of God. There's some of you, you have a silent shame over what's going on in your life. Don't believe the lie that Christians don't have depression or that God doesn't care. He wants to give you shalom, shalom. You gotta disconnect from the negative. Stop playing that tape. You gotta be fixed. Someone say fixed on him and him alone. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I pray for every person in this room that can hear the sound of my voice. God, there are so many in this room that are struggling. Help us fix our thoughts on you. Train our brains, God, to be renewed in your truth. God, bring healing to those who are hurting, either instantly or in the moment. God, you're the source of all our strength. As you keep praying today, some of you begin to speak to God. Spiritually, though, some of you, you don't know where you stand with God. There are many of you that feel guilty and ashamed of the things that you've done, and you don't have peace. God sent his son Jesus to live a sinless and perfect life so he could become your peace. But to achieve peace was was painful. Because on a cross, Jesus had to become our mistakes. He had to become our sin. And then he had to die in our place for it. And to receive this peace that God wants to give you, you've got to place your faith in Jesus. It's part of your inheritance. But you've got to turn from your sin, place your faith in Jesus, and trust him as Lord and Savior. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, on the count of three, I just want to pray that maybe that's you this morning. And you want to start a relationship with the living God. His name is Jesus. He knows what you're going through. He wants to give you peace that surpasses understanding. He wants to bring wholeness, health, because health is wealth. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. That's you. See your hand over there. Pray this prayer out loud, everyone. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven for me, that you died on a cross for me, that you paid my penalty, 
that you lived the life I should have lived. And then you died the death I should have died. I believe, Jesus. I receive your free gift of salvation. I repent of my sin. I turn. I let go of the negative. And I want to connect to you, Lord. Help me fix my thoughts on you, Jesus. As much as I understand now, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Can we clap for the hands that went up? Some of you, though, you're here. And what I want to tell you is that we're going to be talking about mental health for not one week before. And every week we're going to build on another. So if I didn't speak to you today, next week we're going to talk about anxiety. Next week we're going to talk about that, we're talking about negative thoughts. And then probably the most emotional of all of them is trauma. If I get you to stand, I want to pray that God would do something in our faith community that I don't have the power to do, but the Spirit of God can. God, I pray for every person in this room that's dealing with depression. God, I pray for every person in this room that feels hopeless. I break that lie in the name of Jesus that, that only through death will these problems go away. I pray that they would never make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. God, you are the God that gives hope in hopeless situations. I pray for every person in this room that feels like quitting, that feels like dying, that is overwhelmed with emotions, God, that you would give them hope, Holy Spirit. You would give them dreams and, and visions, God, that, that life is not over. As long as they got breath in their lungs, they got hope in this life. Speak to them, Lord. Speak to them, God. If you believe that everybody said. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.